this misconception that, you know, I can't serve God until I get my, my act cleaned up, until I get everything right you know, on my own, you know, power and, and uh, sweat, then I can serve God. Okay? And, and that's the misconception. We all have messes in our lives, whether, you know, financial or personal or whatever it is, but God's there with us through that mess, and he wants to work with us through that mess, whatever it is in our lives. And so um, we're going to do a four-week series. It's going to be the, the 20th and 27th of June, Wednesday evenings from 6.30 to 8. And then we're going to do our uh, uh, 4th of July party on the 4th, and then we'll pick back up again on the 11th and the 18th to finish up the series. And so we're inviting all the church uh, to come and share together in prayer and in in this study, and there will be child care provided. Um, don't let that hold you back, um, Karen. So that means you can bring Dwayne, and Dwayne will be cared for if uh, there's any issues. So, uh, um, again, don't let the, um, that issue hold you back. So uh, please uh, come and join us um, for this. We'll give some more announcements over the next couple of weeks. Thanks. Looking forward to having you come out on Wednesday nights. It's kind of like a four-week all-church uh, study, and we'll be encouraged by the opportunity to address the mess. If you aren't old enough to have been in a mess yet, then uh, that's all right. Come get prepared. The rest of us can just come and learn how we can deal with the mess that we have uh, are in or that we've been dealing with. So I uh, just want to continue to ask you to uh, be praying for uh, several requests. Uh, Norb uh, and Karen, uh, any update on Norb? Uh, still in a lot of pain? Uh, okay. Muscle spasms, pain, not sleeping very well. I tried, uh, I apologize, I tried calling him yesterday, but I called his cell phone, so I didn't try calling Karen's, but uh, uh, so he's still in the hospital. We'll be praying for him. I know we need to be praying for uh, Carol Clarkson, and she's got some, uh, some hip deals going on, and um, Doug shared that uh, Lori's family, this young gal, is it Robin? Is that what her name is? Uh, the Allison? Alice, yeah, Alice, I'm sorry. Uh, Alice, a four-year-old girl, passed away, and uh, she's related to Lori, and so she, their family's grieving and dealing with that. Let's pray, and we'll look into the Word of God. Father, I thank you that uh, death was arrested when our lives begin in Christ, and it's through the risen Christ that we have power uh, to overcome sin and death and the devil. I pray that as we look into your word that you would speak your truth to each of our hearts. Lord, you know where we're coming from and what we're coming from and where we're going to when we leave this place. You know the situations of our minds and our hearts. And God, I just come to you because I know that I need your grace and ask for it as we walk through this text and pray that you would give us truth that we can take and apply and live out in our own lives. We pray for your grace and your mercy. As the psalmist prayed, we pray, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. And again, Father, not just truths to inform us, but truths that would transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, our family was on vacation, and I went one morning down to the, the beach, 
And I was sitting on the beach, and I observed a group of four, I'm guessing, about fourth to sixth graders marching down the beach together. Guys in one group, girls in the next group, and they marched down the beach, and there must have been like 75 or 100 of them, and they were uh, going to learn how to swim in the ocean. They were having PE class, evidently, or maybe it was a, a swimming class that they were taking. I don't know what it was, but it was readily apparent, immediately apparent, that there were two distinct groups the guys and the girls, because when they lined up and then they sat down, the girls were sitting there in the sand talking with each other, and then they would take them out in groups, and then they'd look out and they'd see their friends in the ocean swimming, and then they'd turn back and they'd start talking to each other and maybe drawing some figures in the sand. And the guys were over here, and they were completely spastic. I mean, it was like... Where, what planet are these guys from? I mean, they're running around kicking sand on each other and, and grabbing each other from behind and wrestling each other down. And Then they're running and sliding in front of each other in the sand. And then they're running out into the ocean and the, the water, the tide is receding and they, they, then the, the tide is coming in, the waves are coming, and they're running to keep away from the water. And they're just, it was like, whoa. They, it was like, Night and day, it became very obvious that they were not ashamed of their identity and they were visibly and unapologetically being who they are, boys and girls. This morning as we look into the Old Testament and we look into the life of Josiah, we see from his example a model of someone who was visibly and unapologetic in his not identity, well, actually his identity as a, as a follower of, of God, but his fidelity, his faithfulness, his devotion to, to God Almighty. And his life, in my opinion, at least for me as I've walked through this text, it, it provides for me a great example of what it means to, to walk as a follower of God, a Christ follower, and to live visibly and unapologetically loyal, devoted, and to demonstrate that devotion faithfully to the Lord. So this morning, as we go through this passage of 2 Kings, 2 Kings, it's a long passage. I'm not going to read the entire passage. Beginning with verse 1 through chapter 23, verse 25, we see three marks of unswerving devotion to the Lord drawn from King Josiah's life that challenge us to examine our lives and then to follow his example and express our devotion to the Lord. I'm going to begin this morning just by reading a few verses in chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 22, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedida, or Jedida, however you want to say it. I say Jedida. And the, the daughter of uh, Adiah of Boscoth. And he did right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of the, his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. Now it came about in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money 
brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of the the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord to repair the damages or the damage to the house. uh, To the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons for the uh, buying of timber and uh, hewing stone to repair the house. Only no accounting shall be made with them for the money delivered into their hands, for they deal faithfully. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought back word to the king and said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe the king saying, uh, told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. And it came about when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Achbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us because of our fathers have because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us there's a lot of things in the text but the first thing that i see in josiah's life that challenges me and i think should challenge all of us that is a a mark of those who are demonstrating their faithfulness is our reverence for god and for his word in the first few verses here, we see, and uh, just to set the context, if you look at chapter 22, beginning with verse 1, actually look at verse 2, and it says, And Josiah, he did right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of the father David, nor did he turn aside to the right nor to the left. Now, I have to turn the page, but go over to chapter 23, verse 25. And before him, this is speaking of Josiah, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all that the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. And so you have bookended chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, and chapter 23, verse 25, the declaration of his faithfulness, the declaration of his loyalty. And then in between, sandwiched in between the bookends, is the demonstration of his loyalty. So you have the declaration that is sandwiched between the demonstration. And it's from the demonstration that we get this. See, Josiah, which is amazing to me, his father Ammon was a wicked man. His grandfather Manasseh was a wicked man. But somehow, by God's grace... God got a hold of Josiah, and we learn in, uh, of, his, of his devotion in this text, but also in 2 Chronicles, or, uh, 2 Chronicles uh, 34, we learn that he was a man who had come to seek God and wanted to, to do good things for God. 
So we see, first of all, his reverence for the Lord. And how do we see his reverence for the Lord in these first few verses, in verses 1 through 20 of chapter 22? First of all, our reverence for the Lord and for his word is demonstrated through putting a priority on God. He placed a priority on the Lord. Josiah reveals two manifestations of his reverence. The author moves immediately from this declaration to this profound manifestation of his fidelity in that he cared about the temple of the Lord. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, he was eight years old when he became king. Now, let's just face it. At eight years old, you don't know diddly squat about what it means to be a king. And he really didn't know what he was doing. But somewhere along the line, we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 that he committed himself, verses 1 through 3, he committed himself to seek the Lord at the age of 16. So eight years later, he somehow God got a hold of him and he committed to follow the Lord. And then at age 20, he made this commitment to purge the land of all of, of the idolatry that was there. And so now, a few years later, we see that he is in the 18th year of his reign. Now he's, he's at it again and he wants to cleanse the temple. His piety, his fidelity was a result of his relationship with God. I have yet to meet Lucas and Lois Richards, but their piety, their missionaries that the church here supports. Actually, Lois grew up in the church. And so they, their piety and their demonstration of faithfulness is a result of their relationship with God, just as Josiah's was a result of his relationship with God, his real relationship with God. And it says that he, his commitment was to redeem the house of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? You say, oh, well, he was really concerned about his church. Well, the temple in the Old Testament was the place of God's presence. This is the place where God, they met God. This is the place where he dwelled. As believers, if you're trusting in Christ, your body is the temple of God. It is the place where God dwells. But for them, it was a big deal for the house, the place where God dwelled among his people and the kings of Judah prior to Josiah had let it fall into ruin. They let it fall into disrepair. They let it fall into pagan hands and idolatry was pervasive throughout the whole temple place. It was, a, it was abhorrent to God. And Josiah decided that he would transfer or transform the place from this idolatrous worship to the worship of the true God. And so he committed himself. He honored God by repairing the house. And this was what was expected. In the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 12, they were to honor the Lord through the taking care of his house. They weren't supposed to let idol worship in. They weren't supposed to let idolaters in. They weren't supposed to offer up strange offerings and sacrifices. They weren't supposed to encourage the sacrificing of their children to some strange gods. No, not at all. And so I see him in his repair of the temple, which I read that he was committed to do, his desire to honor God. And I come this morning and I think about my own life. How, how committed am I in to prioritize the Lord? How important is the Lord to me? How can I honor God? How can I elevate Him? How can I ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name? We honor the Lord by prioritizing giving to Him. Serving Him. Caring about His people. Caring about other people, the 
poor and the needy. James chapter 1, verse 27. We honor God by communing with Him. You know, I preached a couple of Sundays on, ago on Mary's winsome worship. I wonder, you know, have you, have you been taking time to get with the Lord and sit at His feet and to listen to what He has to say and to read His Word and spend time in His Word? This is what Josiah is one of the ways we can honor God is I'm not going to go out and rebuild the temple, but I can honor God by caring for His people. I can honor God by serving in the church and in ministry. I can honor God by spending time with Him and reading His Word and letting His Word get in, into my heart. Reverence for God means I won't set, set God aside. I won't ignore God. I won't let the things in my life eclipse my relationship with Him as the number one priority. I won't insult Him. I won't degrade Him. I won't demean Him. I landed in an airport in a major U.S. city and uh, was transported from the airport to the car rental place. I was standing in line to get my rental car, and the people behind the counter who worked for the rent-a-car company were just chatting it up, you know, just you know, yuckety, 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 yuck, chatting it up, chatting it up. Just, it's almost like I wasn't even there. And I wasn't the only person there. There were a lot of people there, but I was the next person in line. And I'm kind of standing there, and I'm kind of in a hurry because I'm in a major U.S. city, and it's like about 3 o'clock, and I'm thinking if I get my car and I can get in my car and get out of here, I can beat the rush hour traffic in this major U.S. city. Well, you know, they're just kind of chatting away, just kind of ignoring me. And I wonder if the Lord doesn't feel like I felt that day in front of the rental car. Checkout counter. Yeah, you know, people just kind of, they could give a rip about God. They don't care about Him. And He should be the priority. Josiah said, God will be a priority in my life and in the lives of the people that I govern because He is worthy. Not just because it was His duty, but because He had a relationship with the living God that he knew that was what's best for him and for his people. And I wonder if that's true for us. You see, do I spend more time, more energy, more effort invested in my recreation? In my hobby? In my little device? Checking out Pinterest? Snapchatting, Google searching, Twittering. Now, I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong. You know, it's just like, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not bad. It's when we love it. It's when I love Facebook more than I love my friends. Just a little sidelight. Your friends on Facebook, most of them are fickle friends anyway. So just, uh, you know, all they're doing is checking out what the latest gossip is about you. And uh, so what do I spend, invest my time in? Do I care about it? And, you know, the church building, we, it's not the temple, but it is the place where we gather for worship. And what we do and how we treat and how we regard this facility reflects on how we view God. So... We prioritize the Lord. That's how we show reverence for God and His Word. Then we practice humility. 
which is the next thing that I see in, in Josiah's life, beginning with verse 8, and especially when they found the book of the law, you know, so they, they came and they discovered this book of the law. The temple repairs led to an unexpected discovery. Oh, there's this book, the book of the law. Now, it wasn't a book like you and I have book. It was a bunch of scrolls, you know. Um, I, I, I made an unexpected discovery when we were uh, packing and sorting and pitching and getting ready to move. Uh, I found this. I think we have a picture of it. Can you guys give me the picture? Yeah, there you go. Roy Rogers and sure enough, cowpoke. You know, one of the books my mom got me when I was a little kid. It's quite a story, I tell you. It's a, a genius. It's a masterpiece of uh, literature. I'm sure it'll be, you know, uh, probably a Pulitzer Prize winner. You know, sure enough, cowpoke. But it's a surprise. They found the book of the law, and they discovered it. And when the king heard, this is where I'm going with this. If you, if you look at verse 11, it says, And it came about when the king heard the words of the book of the law, probably the book of Deuteronomy, that he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. As an expression of sorrow, as an expression of lament, God's word impacted his life in a way that he said, oh, this is, this is not good. The guilt of the people and the wrath of God because of their guilt drove him to complete reverence for God. And it's amazing to me that in verse 13, I think it is, yeah, verse 13, it says, go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book. Notice how he included himself. All the past sins of the people. And he says, inquire about me and all the people and see what God's word has to say because he included himself in those who were guilty of sin and subject to the wrath of God. And the people were subject to the wrath of God. Deuteronomy 29 is the... the cursings and blessings in verses 25 through 27 it tells us what happens if you disobey God you receive God's curse and that's probably one of the passages that he was referring to and what he what he read it and when he was responding to it and he was sorrowful and he was tender in his heart and he humbled himself notice it says in verse 19 uh, after the end of this it says, because your heart, this is God, the prophet, speaking, uh, God speaking through the prophet to Josiah, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against the inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you into your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. What does that mean? That none of the curse that he has just read and has been sorrowful and torn up about will come on him got to get out of jail free card he got a pass but what was the pass it was because of his humility because he owned the sin of the people and he owned it in himself 
want you to look at Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. is a familiar uh, psalm for many of us when we, we understand David and his sin of Bathsheba. He says, speaking to, to God, he says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of the Lord are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. I... First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When I read of Josiah's life and his promised deliverance, I said, okay, Steve, how do I respond? How do you respond when my conduct is in direct conflict with God's commands? So just take a minute. How is it that you respond? How do I respond when I'm reading God's Word and I say, oh, my conduct is in direct conflict with God's commands? Am I broken? Or am I kind of belligerent? Am I repentant? Or am I resistant? Am I tender? Or am I tenacious? Am I humbled? Or is there hubris and pride? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't apply to me. I mean, think about this. I have sat with people. It is amazing what the mind can do and how we can rationalize our sin. We can excuse our sin. We, I have sat with people who were couples who are fighting and you know one of them just continues to blame the other one it's all their fault and the other one blames the other one it's all their fault and both of them are blind to their own wickedness and most of us are blind at least partially to our, the worst of our own sinfulness and I said woe is me woe is me do I see my sin as God sees my sin or am I just belligerent, obnoxious, rude, tenacious, and proud? A few years ago, the movie War Room came out. And uh, during, in that movie, there's this elderly, old, godly woman who just commits everything to pray, prayer. And the, there's a young lady who's married, and her husband's kind of a jerk. And so the, she goes to the old lady, and she just says, I just don't know what to do. My husband is a she doesn't say this, okay, but he, he's a knucklehead. So he, he's a knucklehead. He doesn't love me. He doesn't act lovingly, and he distreats me. And the old lady looks at her, and she says, basically, like, are you praying about and for your husband? Which, amazingly, God's Word calls us to pray in everything. Oh, yeah, that's a new revelation. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. So it's not just pray, hope it happens. It's pray because God can change things and only God can change things. And then it's like, okay, now go love him. What? He's not very lovable. Well, that's irrelevant. God's, you know, you're here talking to me, basically, so do what God's word says. And how often is it, well, yeah, but they, and I find myself, yeah, but they. And God goes, yeah, but you. Uh, this is not the Flintstones, yeah, but, but do. It's just you do what you're supposed to do, and God will take care of the rest. Josiah is like, whoa, woe is me, I'm undone. 
God called, calls us to, to love and give and pray and serve and forgive and to move on and to keep going. You must see. For me to come to faith in Christ, I must see my wickedness. I must see that I'm desperately in need of forgiveness. I must see that apart from Christ's blood shed on the cross as the payment for my sin, I am condemned to hell. As a believer, to grow and mature and develop and become more like Christ, I must constantly see that His blood applies and appropriates for me so that I can be forgiven, am forgiven, and I can live in new life. I have the life of Christ in me, and only in Christ am I able to overcome. Reverence for God is a result of our relationship with Him. And it means that we prioritize God in our life and that we practice humility, a humility that only comes because we are in Christ. It's not like you're going to gin up a bunch of humility. I mean, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm going to work harder at that humility thing. Well, that's pretty arrogant. Uh, you're going to work harder at humility. Or are we going to submit to the Lord and let Him produce humility within us? Then there is an allegiance to God in His Word that we see in Josiah's life. In chapter 23, beginning with verse 1, Then the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people entered into the covenant. So he took the words that he had heard that had impacted his life, and his reverence turned into allegiance. And his allegiance was manifest, first of all, through a proclamation of the word, which is the same model for us. Our allegiance to the Lord should result in a proclamation of the truth. If the truth shall set you free, then we need to share the truth so that it will set other people free. His awareness of the, the wickedness of the people, his awareness of God's judgment coming upon the people, didn't lead Josiah, who, remember, had a pass, to just write it out. He cared about the people. He wanted to provide them with the only solution to their problem. He wanted to provide them with the answers that would bring them and turn them back to God so that they might escape judgment and experience God's rich blessing. Our family was in Yosemite National Park. I'd always wanted to go to Yosemite. I don't really have a bucket list, but I guess if you say that was on my bucket list to go to Yosemite. And to see the half dome and, uh, you know, to see uh, the, the falls. And so I, we drove in, and there's a sign. I wanted to show my kids the, the sequoias because they'd never seen redwoods or sequoias. And I said, they said, well, how big are they? Well, you can see on the screen. This is how big they can be. We're not even halfway around, and there's, uh, there's four, five of our family arm arm. Big Buck is a 250-foot high tree. Okay, 
the, 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 the diameter of the tree is like uh, 16 feet, something like that. The circumference is like 90 feet around the base of the tree. A tree like that has about 20,000 square board feet of lumber. 20,000 board feet of lumber. You could build a small house with the tree. But here's the deal. We were in, the, 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 the sign said that the sequoia forest, the main grouping of sequoias, it was closed to the public. I had gone 2,000 miles to see the sequoias. And I pull up and there's a sign closed until the next year. I went to the park ranger. I said, you know, at the information, I said, is there any way we could, you know, do you know any place we could go see the sequoias? I said, I'm not really a groupie. I don't really like doing the, you know, get on the, the big van wagon where everybody, you know, like a junkie, everybody goes there. I'm not into that. The group mentality where everybody's, I want to go someplace where there's not. A, said, well, he said, okay. He said, look, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but he got out this map. He showed us a place that wasn't in the park. He says, take the road down here about three miles, four miles, and then take this road da, 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 up here, and then you'll see this big buck is the biggest tree, sequoia, and there's a small grove there, but hardly anybody goes there. We got there. There's like one other car in the parking lot. Where, and we walked around this trail, this mile trail, and saw six, seven, eight trees. This one was the biggest, and biggest one even if you went into Yosemite National Park. Because he wanted us to experience and to enjoy the richest blessing. I'm telling you, folks, Josiah understood. He wanted God's people to experience the richest blessing. So he pointed them to the only place of repentance and turning back to God. That's why he wanted them to know it. He read God's word because in God's word they would find their healing and they could turn. And he commanded them to hear the word of God. That's what they were supposed to do, is to hear the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 31. I don't know if we have that on the, we have that one? Yeah, let's go to Deuteronomy 31. Maybe we don't. Deuteronomy 31.10. I'm going to read it. If you have your Bibles, that'd be good little sword drill here. Deuteronomy 31.10. It says, Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of the remission of the debts at the Feast of Booze, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which will, he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men and the women, the children and the alien who is in their own in their town, in order that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Get that? Get them all together. And what are you supposed to do? Read the word. And that's what he did. He got them all together and he read the word. Why? Because hearing the word and obeying the word is necessary for our salvation. It's necessary for our transformation. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. A little punctuation. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. How do you come to faith in Christ? You must hear the word. Because the Spirit of God uses the word of God to bring people to God. The Spirit of God uses the word of God to transform those who are God's children into becoming more like God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed. 
and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is what's necessary. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You know? Don't worry, I'm skipping all over. My guy's back there trying to figure out where I'm at on my outline here, okay? But uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then you go down to verse 2. This is the key thing. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How do we result? How does transformation take place? The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make the man or woman God more like the Son of God. He uses the Word. So how do we view the Word? He read it. He taught them the Word of God. Josiah didn't merely proclaim the truth but promised to abide by the truth. He made a covenant in all the people, a contract to absolute and wholehearted obedience to the Word of God. We're going to follow it. We're going to serve God. We're going to fear God. It leads me to Deuteronomy 13.4. And uh, here's the, this commitment, this, this pledge. You shall follow the Lord your God. And you shall fear the Lord your God. And you shall keep all of his commandments. And you shall listen to his words. And you shall serve him. And you shall cling to him. This is not just legalistic fervor. You know, it's not like, oh, he's coming to church. He's doing his Jesus thing. He's just, you know, he's supposed to do this. No, it's because he knew that God's word carried what he needed for life. And to grow and to mature. He aligned his heart with a loving father. You know, that's the thing in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus quotes the scriptures and we often go, yeah, that's it. Sword of God is the, the, the spirit. Uh, the word of God is the sword of God. We're going to take out Satan with the word. Well, yeah, there's some truth to that. But what you see here is Jesus reflecting his love for his heavenly father. His devotion to his father. And here we see Josiah devotion to his heavenly father because he is willing to submit to his word because he knows his father gives him loving, gracious, good guidance in the word that will be for his best. I remember my father told me, you can't do much after midnight but get in trouble. Young people, remember that. Not much good happens after midnight. You get in trouble. I remember that to this day. Why? Why did I, did I follow that practice because, well, I had to do it because my dad said it? No, I followed that practice because I love my dad and I know my dad loves me. And what my dad said to me made a lot of sense. And I tell you what, uh, several years later, it even makes more sense. Young people, just remember this. The older you get, the smarter your parents become. You may think they're the dumbest people on the face of the earth right now. Give it 10 years. You will be singing their praises. Well, maybe not that far, but you, you, you'll, you'll know there's wisdom. So here it is. Josiah's covenant wasn't just a commitment of a desperate man seeking fire insurance. It wasn't him trying to win God's favor. It was a, a, a man who was sold out for his God. Who understood that his God loved him 
And he wanted to follow his God because he knew his God had great things in store for him. And the only way to follow and gain it was to do what God said. That's what his deal was. Unbelievers, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, you're going to say, well, yeah, it's, I don't know, this covenant thing and doing what God says, it seems kind of stupid to me. Yeah, okay, maybe it does. But if you look at God's word and you see the people who followed God's word, you kind of see that their plan uh, really usually works out pretty good. Now, I'm not saying they're all healthy and wealthy and wise. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that God takes care of them and His Word is true and what He promises is true and when you falter, it comes true as well. He punishes the wicked. And you say, well, I got a better plan. Yeah, okay. You may think you got a better plan, but you follow that plan and see where it leads you. It's not a good place. You say, well, my truth is just as good as your truth. Well, you can say that. Follow that path for a while and we'll see. Then I'll say your truth and you say that your truth is you can do whatever you want. I'll say, well, my truth is I can do whatever I want. If I'm bigger and stronger than you, I do whatever I want and I squish you like a bug and you say, I don't like that so much and I say, tough, it's my truth. But God's truth never changes. And God's truth is best for all of us. And he said, he read the word. Only as we see God as holy and loving and that His Word is there for our benefit, not, to, not as this rigid restrictions, you know, but as wise and loving counsel will we grow to know Him and love Him and serve Him and even come into a relationship with Him. It's possible to obey Christ out of duty, which is empty. I think Josiah obeyed his father out of love. And devotion. There was a reverence for God. There was an allegiance to God. And then finally we see in Josiah's life an obedience to God in his word. And there's two actions of obedience. Uh, if you read down through the rest of chapter 23, it gets pretty gruesome. Because Josiah, first of all, the, the, the actions of obedience are twofold in Josiah's life, which I would say we should follow his example. He purged the heresy, okay, he purged the heresy that was in, in front of him. And the second thing was he per pursued intimacy with God. He purged the heresy. If you read down through <clears throat> in verse 4 of chapter 23, and then the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for Asherah and for all the hosts of heaven. Now notice these things were in the temple. Idol worship. And it goes on and he, he, he purges every item. He purges every, and punishes every person, every necromancer, every spiritist, every medium, every wizard. He pulverizes their objects of worship. He disintegrates them. He destroys them. He just cleans house. I mean, he gets rid of everything. He is relentless in his admission. And I admire his tenacity and the totality of his obedience in his quest for purity of devotion to Jesus, to God, his Father. I've got a neighbor 
bless his heart, I was over there, uh, I was out in our yard, I was asking him about, yeah, I got this tree, I don't know, it looks kind of weird, you know, because we were, this home ownership thing is new to us, so it's like, I don't know what, and I don't know, I, horticulture was not my strong suit, so I don't know, if it's green, it's growing, and sometimes it looks ugly, and I want to cut it, but that's a good thing, and sometimes it looks ugly, and it's a good thing, and I don't know what it is, so I'm saying, what should I do, should I cut this tree, should I cut this part of the tree, he says, here's my advice for pruning, one word, relentless. Chop, whack, cut. It'll come back. The best time for pruning is when you have time. That's what he said. The best time for pruning our lives of all the impurity is now. What is it that, that rivals my devotion to God? What is it that is the idolatry in my life? Where are the things that are, are there? So what do you think we should do? I see in his life, in, in uh, Josiah, he destroyed, he did away with, he defiled every vile piece, person, or product of idolatry. It was Exodus chapter 20. What's the first commandment? You know, or, or first, yeah, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, right? You not make for yourself any idol. And that's what they had going on in the temple. Even the northern kingdom, even his, his wrath ex, uh, kind of spilled into the northern kingdom a little bit. Look at chapter 23, uh, verse 24. I skipped a lot, I know, but that's right. You can read it later. Moreover, Josiah removed the mediums and the spiritists and the Teraphim and the idols and all the abominations that were in were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might confirm the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. He read and heard the word, and immediately he acted on the word. So I ask myself, where is the stuff in my life? Several years ago, I had this guy. It was kind of, it's kind of neat. It's just neat to see how God works. But God had get, been getting a hold of this guy. He was a drug addict, and he, he came to our, our house. This is, a no, this is no lie. He came to our house, and he had this uh, bag of stuff. He says, uh, can you get rid of this for me? I'm going, what? I just happened to be uh, burning some stuff, and so I just threw it in the burn barrel and went upwind. Because I didn't want to catch the drift, you know. Okay, I, I have to explain this to you folks. Uh, so I, I, and then he goes, "Can you come to my house?" And he says, "I know I got stuff in there. I know, and I, I, I look for it, and I know that it's there. But I, I, can you just get rid of it for me? Go through every drawer, every cupboard, every place, and just get rid of it." Okay, so. Went to his house, and uh, we, we went through every cupboard, and we took all the, you know, if there was prescription narcotics or whatever it was, and we just got rid of all of it. Cleaned house. I think, do we need to clean house? You know, what is it that we set up that's so important that we don't want to turn from? Maybe, it's, maybe comfort is our idol. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I just moved here. 
seems like it could be pretty easy just to get comfy in, in, the, in the burbs here, you know. Just kind of like, hey, life is good. I, I got my car. I got my house. I got the, you know, this, that. Is that what I'm worshiping? Is it my cash? Is it my car? Is it my children? They can become idols too. Is it social media? Is it my shoe collection? You know, I don't have one. Okay. I have some shoes, but I don't have a collection. You know, Are all these things, they could become our idols. Is it approval? Is it popularity? Is it prestige, power, gaining the next step on the rung of the corporate ladder and getting an office with my name on it facing the outside so I can see over Des Moines. Get rid of it. Josiah called the people to celebrate the Passover the first time in 400 years. God had called the people out of Egypt and given them the Passover as a reminder of God's powerful deliverance as a picture of what Jesus Christ would do on the cross as the ultimate Passover lamb, providing redemption and forgiveness and salvation, deliverance from slavery to sin. And they had not celebrated, and they were to celebrate it every single year, and they hadn't done it. He called them to it. Such a celebration should 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 be there to cause the skeptics to go, what is that all about? And for those of them who knew God, it would be a deeper appreciation for the deliverance that God had given them. Isn't that what communion is for? For the skeptic to go, why are they breaking that bread and drinking that cup? Hmm. Because they're remembering that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ body was broken which the bread symbolizes and his blood was shed which the cup symbolizes and they demonstrate their purging of this heresy and then their pursuit of intimacy that's this is the pursuit of intimacy he purged the heresy then he said let's celebrate the passover as a pursuit of our intimacy a reminder and pursuing god just like we do on sunday morning when we come to church when we go to sunday school or if we kids go to sunday school and when we have first service second service when we come on wednesday nights when we serve the lord jesus we are communing with him and seeking to develop our intimacy with god Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb, and we demonstrate that devotion, and we remind ourselves of it every time we take communion, too. We worship him, observe him. These symbols of remembrance of God remind us of his devotion and love for us. We, I, gotta, uh, I, I uh, was going to show you a picture of a, a group of guys. There's three guys that helped us move or load our, our trailer, you know, the van uh, up in uh, Albert City. These aren't the only people that showed up, but there were some people. These guys showed up, and this is just before we shut the door. You know, this was like, you can't see it, sorry. Uh, you can look back and see it. There you go. Everybody look back. You can see it. There they are. All right. I can see it. You can't see it. But these guys were dog tired. I was dog tired. We started at 1230. We ended at 1030. Okay. And they didn't want to see us leave. But they showed up to move us. 
Because they're friends. Because their devotion led to actions of deepening intimacy. If we love God, then our actions will move us to do things that deepen our intimacy with Him. Chapter 23, verse 25. And before Him, there was no king like Him who turned to the Lord with all His heart, with all His soul, and with all His might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like Him arise after Him. Some of you have seen the movie Eight Below. In the movie Eight Below, it's a story about eight sled dogs that are left in the Antarctic because they had to evacuate during a blizzard, and they're there for, I think, six or eight months, and the, the owner or the sled dog driver, he goes back to find them. He works his way. The whole story is about him trying to find his way back, and he finds them. Some of them, not all of them are still alive, but some of them are eight months later. Devotion to his dogs. Now, I'm sorry, you pet lovers, but dogs do not have souls, okay? They're nice, they're cute, they're lovable, okay? But they don't have a soul, okay? Our devotion to God is seen through our reverence for Him and His Word. Reverence that elevates Him, puts Him, prioritizes Him, and practices humility. It's seen through our not only our reverence, but our allegiance to declare His Word and then to do His Word through our obedience to Him, purging what is standing in the way of our following Him and then pursuing intimacy. Do not let this summer get you so caught up in doing the things that you wish you could do all winter that we lose sight of the God whom we serve. And as we close this service, we are going to practice something that is a step of obedience that will hopefully lead us into deeper intimacy and dependence upon God. As we break the bread and drink the cup, we're reminded of what Christ did for us, and we are here to understand that this is a demonstration of our devotion. So take time, if you're here today and you know Jesus, to reflect on what Christ has done for you and to repent and turn from your sin and then come to one of the three tables and take the elements in rejoicing in what God has done. And if you don't know Jesus, I ask you to just pause and think for a moment about the reality that God would send His Son, that He would die, that He would pay the price, that you could be freed from your condemnation. You say, well, I don't feel like I'm condemned. Well, okay, that's fine. Just sit and think and reflect upon the fact that he did die and he wants to redeem you. So as our praise team sings this song, I ask you to reflect and then come up as you feel led to partake of the elements. Just take this opportunity to uh, reflect on the message, uh, to reflect on what God is calling us to do as a response and to remember Jesus Christ, the one who paid it all so that we can come into relationship with him. I hear the Savior say, thy strength. 
Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine own and Cause Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain.